0: Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after.
1: Hello and welcome to The Last Word. My name is Kim and I'm here with my two wonderful co-hosts. I got, we got Johnny.
0: Hi, glad to be here. Johnny Young.
1: <laughs> and we... <laughs>
2: He stole your line. Uh, I know. Good morning, Cam. I'm also glad to be here. Good morning, Paulina. Paulina.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We're all glad to be here. I'm glad everybody's here. It's awesome. (laughs) Um, So we're coming from wrapping up Romans 12 and 13 at Crosstalk last week. And Crosstalk last week was so cool because we got to be back in Alcac Teaching Theater, which Mm -hmm. we haven't been in there for a while since my freshman year. And Paulina told me. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And Paulina told some really cool stories about just everybody being there and how, like, God has made it all come together and everything. But um, so we talked about 12, Romans 12 and 13, and the very first line, or uh, path, verse, <laughs> 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 know. the actor and me kicked in. The very first verse in uh, Romans 12 says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, which is a lot of what we talked about on Thursday. And Paulina, you talked about this perfectly about not pinpointing like different things about what we're doing, but rather focusing on the Lord as a whole. So how do we, I think, coming into this next week and like moving on in our walk with the Lord, how do we do this and like offering our bodies as a living sacrifice without in our minds like pinpointing like, oh, did I do this wrong? Or like, how am I standing with God? Like what advice would you give for for moving forward with that?
2: I think, I mean, that I was thinking about it more after Thursday, and I think that that, the wording of living sacrifice is so holistic. You know, Mm -hmm. there's not a way to just, like, try to be nice to someone or to just live up to some expectation or to just do this. You know, and to make Mm -hmm. it a micro thing, it has to be all of us. And I feel like I've been realizing how much we get when I— maybe the answer for a lot of what I deal with, you know, even with others and unity mm-hmm. is that I'm just not in a place where I'm—my heart is to be a living sacrifice because of God's mercy, mm-hmm. and then—and how that just lays the groundwork to, like, really not be on defense, not be comparing, not be doing all the things that we can, I think, just have as natural, unhealthy instincts. But if we're a living sacrifice to God, then, like, all of it is open. You know, then I am only here to serve and receive mm-hmm. from God and to show His love to
1: others. Right, Yeah. So good.
0: Yeah, I like that. And I think so many people put a lot of pressure on themselves to think like, yeah, this has to be the exact like right way to like live out for God or I have to be a pastor or something like that. Um, but like in reality, I mean, you know, we're here to, you know, love God and like make him known more and to get to know him more. And to we do that by doing like the things we love still. And so I think that that takes the pressure off and like that still allows us to, Uh, live, you know, that sacrificial, you know, genuine love uh, for Him. And just like doing, you know, say, you know, I really like to play disc golf or something. And so what I'm going to do is like while I'm playing disc golf, I'm still considering God and like the ins and outs of that. And I'm like using that as good, you know, community time to, you know, reflect on like how my friends are doing or, you know, just listen to worship music or something like that. So just Mm -hmm. doing the things you love and still (laughs) considering God and glorifying Him through those I think that's how I would say you can do that.
1: So true. And I love what both of you guys said about not putting it like all on yourself and having the community because we can look at God and we see that God Himself is communal. And so like therefore, because we're made in his image, like we are meant to be communal. We are community and that's what we're meant to live in. And -hmm. so I think you both are so right. And that's like such a perfect um answer. But Paulina also talked about in Romans 13 how Paul says that we're closer to the day of salvation than we were, that the hour, than the hour that we first came to Mm -hmm. the Lord. And so I'm curious for you guys, have there been times in your life or in your walk where you have felt God like waking you up from your slumber, felt God Mm -hmm. calling you to do that, and how has that impacted your walk with Him from there?
2: Um, I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me that I've probably shared several times is when I came to Crosstalk. And I had already been—like, my initial wake up of coming to faith had already happened years before, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize—I was in slumber about— the way that I was compartmentalizing my life and not really giving God everything, but just like trying to basically manage like what I wanted to do and what my flesh wanted to do and like God showing up to me, you know, and being like, okay, yeah, I'll do both. And I feel like where I saw my self-wake up where God woke me up was really in crosstalk and realizing that the people around me were authentic, like Mm -hmm. fully and totally authentic. And if I went dancing with them on Thursday night, Mm -hmm. they were the same people that greeted me at the door at crosstalk, you know, and they were the same ones that offered rides to church on Sunday, excuse me, Sunday morning. And they were the same ones at community group, all on and on. Um, And that really woke me up to see where I wasn't You know, living out where I was just being complacent, I guess, in different parts of my life. Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. that's really good. And the first thing that I thought of was almost like in a literal sense of waking up. I I was in a season of like, you know, should I get baptized or whatever? Because I got baptized when I was really, really young, and Mm -hmm. just to get on the jumbotron. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I was Mm -hmm. considering it, and it had been like almost a year. And then all of a sudden, like, I woke up at like 3 a.m. randomly, and I was like, I have to read my Bible and like worship. I just like got that feeling. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, went to the top of a parking garage and like did that. And it was just like this reawakening of like being like, God's like, hey, I am right here. And I am like so personal and I hear you and I'm like here to talk to you still. Like mm-hmm. just that, like I know for a fact that like I have no doubts that this is him. Yeah. And so that was kind of like one of the cool moments in my life that I was like, that was kind of like a reawakening of being like, yeah, like God is everything. I need to have that urgency and that you know, love to just be there with them.
1: Yeah. So cool to look back and see those times in your life. And Paulina, I think crosstalk was like a big moment for me me too, Mm -hmm. Um, similar to your story coming here and seeing all that God was calling me to. Um, Mm -hmm. It was very cool. Different from when you woke me up at spring retreat. Oh, my gosh.
0: That
1: should have been my example. Uh. (laughs) But we won't get into that. Story for another day. (laughs) Um, And Paulina, on Thursday, you also talked about how unity in Christ is set apart from any other kind of unity. And so for you guys, and especially us, like being in Crosstalk for Mm -hmm. for several years, how have you seen unity in Christ differ from different kinds of unity that the world says is important? Mm -hmm.
2: uh, It makes me think of a friend that I have from high school, and she's super, super special to me. We're really, really close. We've been close now for more than a decade, you know? And so that's like a version of a lifelong friendship, but she's not a believer. And so... Our relationship is different, and mm-hmm. it's crazy how friends that I have in Christ mm-hmm. that I've only known I have a you know a, several friends that I've just have known in recent like the recent year or two, and yet our like depth of relationship is so much deeper and goes mm-hmm. places that even as much as I love my other friend and we really are really close, our relationship yeah. looks different, yeah, um, because we don't you know, have that everything in common, mind and heart uh, unity. And so it really is amazing what God does when he's at the center of that kind of relationship and the depth Mm. that he brings and how it's important to have both. But just the difference in that depth is something I really see in my life.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And Paulina, you touched on that. Something big on unity that's different is the world is like, you know, you have to have similar interests and stuff. Like you can only be united with someone that you're like, oh, I'd also like to do these things. But if you look at Crosstalk, it's like very, very different people that are all united through Christ and therefore like get along despite their differences in Mm -hmm. such like magnificent ways. And not only that, but even whenever, you know, we have like differing thoughts and whatnot, we still are united because we like just go to the word immediately. And that's the first thing. And so I think there's such a deeper Uh, you know, like breadth type of uh, unity that we have because it's, yeah, how you said, centered around God. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. One thing I think of too, um, Pauline gave the example of like different clubs that would be on campus for similar interests. And -hmm. when I think of clubs, I think of being in the same place together, like physicality wise. And what's cool about Christ and like our unity in him is that no matter where we are, if we're in the same place or if we're in different parts of the world or in different rooms, we still have the same goal and we're still united by the spirit and united in what, what God has for us and just mm-hmm. to know Him and to make Him known and to love Him and love people. Um, and I think that's really cool that it's set apart in the way of just because like we're not maybe in the same room mm-hmm. like in a club necessarily all the time. Yeah. We're set apart like no matter where we are mm-hmm. in United no matter where we are. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and something that
2: just occurred to me that probably would have been great to include on Thursday night is that <laughs> the difference, you know, when you belong to a club, you're mm-hmm. there, you like get membership, you know, you might pay membership dues but you like yeah. get things from it. Like yeah. even if it's like a school organization, you know, where it's like I'm putting it on my resume and you receive from it. And in the Christ-centered community, we do receive from Him and from each other in different ways, but we're really yeah. united in serving each other, right. yeah. you know, and that's yeah. the that's goal. Good. And I feel like that's something that's so different than, like, I'm here to, you know, to discuss this book even, you know, yeah. and we're a book club that just, like, receives insight and I'm trying to, like, you know, maybe prove myself, things like that. Um, yeah. But we just want to serve each other, and receive from each other, but receive from God first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true.
1: and So good. Um, This was awesome. And I'm actually going to hand it back over to Paulina for the last word to talk about what we've got coming up in the next couple weeks.
2: Yeah, I felt like on Thursday, I was... Personally, encouraged to see how far we've made it through Romans and Mm -hmm. how exciting it is that even though, like, we are hopefully going to read Romans a million times in the rest of our lives here, um, but to hopefully get those bigger insights to pull from Romans. And so, I'm excited that we this week get to continue. We're going to be wrapping up Romans the next two weeks and ending the semester, finishing out Romans and all that we, all that the gospel reveals to us through Paul's writing. Guys, this is such a special Thursday night. I mean, it's special because every week is special, but it's especially special because we're in Alkek Teaching Theater. And if you didn't know, um, Crosstalk before the last like, how old are some of y'all? Maybe like the la- before the last like four or five years, we Crosstalk historically met in this room and Crosstalk started in like 1993. Right at the start of the church. And that, as far as I know, that whole time, we, the majority of the time, we have been meeting in this room. And so for me, being back in Elkett Teaching Theater is so special. Because I have so many personal memories of God using Crosstalk in my life here. Like in this one building, in this one room. And when I was thinking about being here today, I was thinking how the first time I ever went to Crosstalk, I sat back there, like behind where Joel is. And I came in as a freshman and was like, I don't know, I already have my church home that I had in my hometown in Austin. And I was like, I don't know about these people. Nobody's probably gonna be as great as my home church was. And then I looked around during worship and just saw people like totally surrendered and worshiping to God. And I was like, okay, I'll come again. You know, maybe there's something here. And I remember being over here and them introducing uh, a lady named Becky that was at that time pouring into college girls. And I remember thinking, man, I want to get to know her. And she ended up being someone, is still someone so special in my life that has poured into me and that made a way for me to be here with you guys tonight. And I remember standing out there when Crosstalk would start, we started at seven. That was like start time. We came in here at like 7.45, 7.45, every time, always 45 plus minutes of just hanging out out there because they weren't ready in here and we just were hanging out and people would come late on purpose to avoid all of the hangout time out there and it was just like basically an hour hanging out of there, an hour in here and I also remember being all the way behind Alkek over here because I was going through so much in my life at that time, when we were having crosstalk here, and I just bailed and went out there and prayed. And was like, God, I don't know what you're going to do about this situation in my life. And here I am, like 10 years after I started crosstalk, getting to be here with you guys. And I have one more story, actually. Cam, Cam, was your first crosstalk here? It was here. So, so special. And Sydney probably has some memories in here, others, Um, But it really does feel like so cool to see the legacy. I mean, if you're new, let's say, raise your hand, if 2021 to 2022 is your first year at Crosswalk. That's like crazy. That's almost all of y'all, except for some of the leaders and Isabel, who's been here forever. That's Crazy. And that, like, generations that have come before me and my generation and the one that came between mine and y'all's have been pursuing God and cha- learning to chase after him with everything they are. We are individually and as a community, and that legacy continues through y'all here today, now, as you guys do the exact same thing in different ways and a different time and culture and all of that. But you're continuing to do the just what God has called us to do, which is to love him and to love others and to make disciples. And so it just gets me really excited that we're here. So all that to say, tonight's a good night. Um, And if you've been around Crosstalk this semester, we've been going through the book of Romans. And we've kind of, we've broken it up in four sections. And so section, right now we're actually going to start section four tonight. So section one, if you remember, we started in January with this idea that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. So that's, we've separated Romans into these four parts that Paul is, and showing what the message that Paul is communicating to us in each of the sections. So section one is that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. That means that we have been, there was no hope for us, not one of us. There was no hope for us ever attaining any righteousness on our own, right? We are all helplessly broken, sinful people, never able to take a real step towards eternity with God. And so we need righteousness from Jesus that makes us righteous. His perfect life sacrificed for us that reveals God's righteousness that we now get that righteousness. So that was part one. Part two is that the gospel creates a new humanity. And we did a lot of that at Spring Retreat. If you're at Spring Retreat, we basically every talk was taught, tied into that idea that the gospel creates a new humanity. Cam ended that talk when we came back to cross, that section when we came back to cross talk, and it was awesome. And so that new humanity means that we get to now learn because of God's righteousness, that we are understanding because of Jesus, we get to now learn how to be a new creation in him, made new, learning what living that out actually looks like. And then part three was that the gospel fulfills God's promise to Israel, well, that's the one we just finished last week. And when we, what we learned through that section of Romans is that since the beginning of time, God has always used a remnant or a subset of people to fulfill his promises, to to work his plan with his sovereignty, showing us, bringing Jesus that would ultimately fulfill his promise to reunite us with him, right? And so that's that the gospel reveals, uh, sorry, fulfills God's promise to Israel. So now... Because of that, eventually, in Jesus, that, uh, that promise means that we get to be included, Jew Christians and non-Jewish Christians, all of us, get to be included in this new creation. That's what the gospel shows us. And so if I were to put all of that in a sentence, here's how I have it, a run-on sentence. The gospel reveals God's righteousness, right? We talked about that. That creates in us a new humanity, which is being, us being transformed by God's Spirit, which fulfills God's promises to His people. So the only reasonable, the only reasonable um, response is for this new, mixed-up, diverse body of believers, both Jewish and non-Jewish Christians, to become a unified church community. And that is going to be our fourth section that we're starting tonight. We're going to finish the semester with. So the gospel unifies the church. I was really excited to talk about unity because I think we all have an idea like unity is not a Christian only term, right? Unity, the whole world has an idea of what unity means. But as I thought of examples that I could think of of unity in the world, I saw how different Paul's unity that he's going to that we're going to see through his writing it's so different from the way of the world. And so what we're going to see in chapters 12 and 13, which we're going to read snippets of in Romans tonight, we're going to see how this true unity that only comes from God is multifaceted. So it has several different sides to what it looks like to have that true unity. And it's long lasting. And so I was making my notes, reading through Romans 12 and 13, and I got to like six points, and he was like, okay, multifaceted, six, and I love images, and I love analogies, so a dice, six sides, six, we're going to look at six points, multifaceted to look at this diversity of uh, this unity that Paul is showing us that's really God's heart for unity, so six points or sides, facets to unity is what we're going to look at. Is anyone a visual learner? Raise your hand. Now, keep your hand up if you're also prone to fidgeting. Okay, this one's for you. Walker, I can't reach you back there, but you're the one I thought of. Anyone else on the desk, Susanna? All right, one more. Miriam! Oh, that was all those throws were pretty good. All right, so I'm going to hold one, but these, this symbolizes the six points that we're going to look at of the facets of unity, and really, I just read through Romans and felt like, I told Jiggy, but I felt like God downloaded an outline of these chapters into my mind of what unity really looks like. And so we're just going to start from the top from Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship and if you're on the live team, like Isabel and Brooklyn, this is our theme verse. This is a theme verse for the live team. We want to be living sacrifices, give our whole body, so everything that we are, to be worship and sacrifice to God because of this one little phrase in the beginning, in view of God's mercy. And so the first point here is that we want to look forward. We want to look forward in view of God's mercy. So I picture like really long road trips where you can see the entire road is going just straight. No turns, no nothing, you know, tumbleweeds. That's what I picture, but in that vision is God's mercy. So knowing how merciful God has been with us, that allows us to be living sacrifices. How beautiful of a picture is that? That where sacrifices brought death to cover over sin, we get to be now living, alive, breathing sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so the first direction is forward in view of God's mercy. And then if we keep reading in verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the second part, we're going to look forward in view of keeping God's mercy in view, right? The second part is that we're going to look upward. That's our vertical relationship with God. Everything comes from there. You can't have this dice with five sides. And you definitely can't have unity, true, long-lasting unity, without that upward relationship with God that renews us, that transforms us by the renewing of our minds. And why, for what purpose do we get renewed to test and approve what God's will is, and I think it was either this semester or last that we talked about what a little bit about what God's will is, and I love the phrase that God's will is not a place that you arrive to, but a place that you live out of, so God's calling on our lives, the universal calling for all of us to love God and love others, he's made that clear, and the more that we live into that, the more that we figure out our calling underneath that but that's our universal calling for each one of us. So as we look upward in our relationship with God, we want to be transformed by his spirit, by the renewing of our minds. So if we're going to attain true unity, we're going to look forward, keeping God's mercy in view. We're going to look upward, so being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then the verse three says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Sober judgment. That's so good. That's like really good uh, wisdom to put in our back pocket, to think of ourselves with sober judgment. If you've ever not been sober, you know what sober means, especially, right? It's raw. There is no romanticizing it. There is there is no, like, sugarcoating it. or It's just as it is, as it is real, realistically. That's what it means to have sober judgment, is that when I look inward, I don't go to the pride, to one version of pride that is like, wow, I'm so much better than that person. At least I don't do those things. And it means that I don't go the other way that says man, I'm terrible. I'll never live up to how Miriam is. I could never do what so-and-so does. I could never, I'm just terrible and broken and hopeless. Both of those things are pride because they both make everything about us and they make us look inward in an unhealthy way. So even though I I do think it's important that we look inward, but we need to do it with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Uh, What that reminds me of is that we just get to be who we are, where God has us. When you look inward, you don't have to dissect if you're enough or measuring up or how you compare to roommates or friends or people in your community group. We want to look in with sober judgment, looking realistically, and living out our faith exactly as it is, not trying to be somebody that we're not or be in a spot that we're not. We get to look inward with sober judgment and in accordance with the faith that God's given us. So, exactly where we are. So, we're going to, in order to attain true unity, we're going to look forward, keeping God's mercy in view. We're going to look upward, being renewed by, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we're going to look inward with sober judgment, knowing exactly where we are and living that out. And the fourth one is probably what you thought of when it comes to unity. And that's outward. So we're going to look outward at each other. That's our horizontal relationships. Every type of relationship is in this category. So when we look outward, horizontally at each other, there are really important things on how we treat each other. But what I saw as I read this is that there is so much more than just figuring out like, oh, I need to be kind to Izzy. I need to serve her and I need to compliment her every once in a while. Those are important things and important parts, hopefully, about our relationship. But those aren't the keys to unity. The keys are these six things that help us attain true unity. So being outward focused is in these horizontal relationships is one of those things. But it's not all of it. And that's the one that I see the world looking at a lot. You know, it's just how do we treat each other? How do we do this and that? And that, those things are important, but they're not the key. So in Romans, in chapter 12, we, um, verses 4 through 5, say, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I wrote down, many members, one body, different functions. That's so good. Many members, one body, different functions, I mean, how many things would be solved if I just remembered that in my relationships as a part of the body of Christ? Many members, one body, that's the body of Christ, different functions. A lot of times uh, in that world form of unity, I think we can look at just like our interests. Like, uh, does anybody like crime shows or crime podcasts? Okay, me too. So good. So we would like make a club for crime shows, Right? Uh, does anybody like going for hikes and being a wilderness man or woman? Okay. So y'all could have formed a club, all of the other things that we could, Harry Potter nerds out there, um, <laughs> I saw Miriam and that's the first thing I thought of. Um, we could form these little huddles and clubs based on just these interests. But in the end, those are pretty shallow interests, right? They don't bond me. Totally with somebody else. They might be good right now, but when I change the types of show that I like, I now don't have that community. And so it, this made me think of two verses in Acts, and I'm just gonna repair well read them to y'all. Um, but twice in Acts it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, and all the believers were in heart and were in were one in heart and mind. And both of those times, it's early on in the church. So Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, resurrected, and then showed up to people as a resurrected body, then ascended into heaven, and now the believers are trying to figure out how they're going to live, how they're going to form this new body of believers called the church. And I love that wording, that all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. The other one says that they were one in heart and mind. That everything in common feels impossible to reach, right? Like, we can't have every possible thing in common. But to me, what that means is that when you have the most important thing in common, you have everything in common, right? Because if we agree that Jesus is Lord and that his word is what is our authority and covering, and we want to do everything that we can to pursue and go after him, all the little ways that we need to work on getting along fade away, or at least they get to, you know, not being step one. Step one is having that most important thing in common. That's what it means to be one in heart and in mind. What I love about this is that God has always been creating unity among his people. Always. He's always been doing it, and he's the only one that can do it. He's the pillar that we all uh, are united around. No other true unity can be achieved by man alone, by us alone. We can't achieve that true unity. It's all God. It's his purpose and his idea to have that kind of unity together. So number five, the fifth direction is we're going to jump all the way to chapter 13, a little bit into chapter 13, because all of that middle part is going to be something that I hope in y'all's community groups this next week, y'all are going to be able to really discuss what it looks like to have those outward relationships because what Paul lists in the rest of 12 and the beginning of 13 are really clear like do this don't do this submit to authority don't do this. you know it just keeps going through really direct things that we can discuss and figure out okay why is it hard for me sometimes to not honor somebody else and we can figure all that out in community groups and so I'm just gonna skip past it so that we can get that 30,000 foot view 3,000 foot view, this 30,000 hi high view of all of this unity idea so that we can then dig in in community groups specifically on the how of how we're going to treat each other. And so that's why we're going to jump to verse 9 in chapter 13. Paul says, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we need to look backward. That's at the law and the prophets. We need to look back and see the way that God has, that love fulfills the law, that all of the specifics that God has given his people on how to treat each other were about love. That's why love is the fulfillment of the law. And how beautiful that we have Jesus, who is love, who showed was God's ultimate display of love for us. In, the, in his perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross for us. That is love. Love, Jesus has fulfilled the law and has made a way for us to be have that righteousness that we talked about. And if we look backward and we see that love is what it's all, all the commands were about, about loving God and loving others, it also puts us all on the same playing field. We're not trying to out. Uh, compare each other or to criticize each other because we all, love is what it's about, right? Not in a gushy way, but in the everlasting agape love from God. Love fulfills the law. So when we look back, we can see that love, it's love that fulfills all of the law. Number six, play on words. So we had, we're going to look forward in view, keeping God's mercy in view, we're looking upward, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're going to look inward with sober judgment, being living out our faith exactly where we are. We're going to live outward, treating each other, figuring out how to be many members, one body, different functions. We're going to look backward and see how everything that God has been doing, all the laws and the prophets have been about love, and that love fulfills the law in Jesus, ultimately. And then the last one is that we are going to look toward. verse. We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 13. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in corral... Carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. I love the beginning of that. It's so clear. Wake up. Wake up. What we want to look toward is the reality that the hour has come. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So if you are a believer, think about when you came to faith for the first time. Salvation, eternity, Jesus coming back and making all things new forever, is nearer, closer to us now than when we first believed, and I feel like just talking about that gives me that urgency that God, I believe, wants us to live out, is the urgency to not get complacent in this world, to not look at such, make little things huge things, but to know what the big things are, and one of those huge things are for us to wake up and go toward Knowing our salvation is coming near. Eternity with God is coming nearer now than when we first believed. When you're excited about something, like excited about a trip, and this is what I do, I don't hardly sleep at all. Because you just like wake up and you're like, oh, I missed my alarm. It's like been 30 minutes since you fell asleep, you know? So then you're trying to go back to sleep, but you're excited. And did I, you know, forget to pack something? All that stuff. And I feel like in a healthy way, that's what our urgency should look like. Now that we are here and we've, you know, received God's love and that's awesome and all, but we're just going to, you know, hang and live for ourselves here. That's the opposite of urgency. What we want to do is wake up, not in fear that, you know, of what eternity is going to look like. Because if you believe and you confess, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved and nothing can take away that salvation from you. And so if you do believe and you have that security then let's look toward that with urgency. Wake up and live on purpose with urgency, knowing that our time here is so limited. What are we going to do with our time here? And as I saw all six of these, I felt like nothing comes against unity like living without urgency. Nothing comes against unity like living without urgency. So when I am not being urgent, then I just lax and then I criticize and then I make teams against somebody that hurt me and all the little things that are disunity and division, all of that happens when I'm not living in urgency, wanting only God to be the biggest thing in my life, not what other people think about me, not if I'm doing good enough, not if I'm succeeding, all that stuff is after the fact that I want to go towards eternity with urgency. I was telling um, Miriam about all these six things, right? So one more time, we're going to look forward, uh, keeping God's mercy in view. We're going to look upward, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're going to look inward with sober judgment, living out our faith exactly where we're at and with what God is convicting us of. We're going to look outward, and figure out how to live as the body of Christ, many members, one body, different functions. Then we're going to look backwards and see how love has always been the goal. Love is always what God's been showing us. And love fulfills the law. Then we're going to look toward our salvation. We're going to wake up and live with urgency. So I was telling Miriam about all my words. This is where I was getting at because I knew she would appreciate the play on words. So we were trying to figure out more ward words and she said that it made her think of like ships and things like that and so she was like the only one the one that she could think of that was left was onward and I was like Miriam I'm gonna write that down and include that as a bonus one because I really think if we take all six parts of this and live it out we still need we need to go onward we need to go onward with like a, that mission cry and so the very last verse of chapter 13 is where I see that Paul says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Another version says, put on Christ. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So rather, put on Christ. I love that. Let's put on Christ. I really believe that we see all, we see Christ in all six of these things. So let's put on on Christ. Let's clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, with his character, with love, with forgiveness, and with unity. That's his idea. We're just get to the chance to live it out here. So what's the point of unity? That's what I was asking myself as I went through all those six points and was trying to figure out where everything plugged in. When I got to the end, I was like, hey, God, why? What's the point? And what I know is not the point, is for us to get in this room and to hold hands and to face each other and to sing kumbaya and to feel good about who, you know, that this is a crew that we want to run with. I know that that is not what unity is about. True unity wraps up with that onward part, the living on mission. Living on mission together. If you've ever done something, done like a mission trip with people or... Climb on the roofs around Texas State, something that's like daring and with purpose. And everybody knows the goal, even if it's not a great goal. When you do something, when you do something like that, doesn't that like unite you like nothing else? Seriously. I know. I know because I hear y'all talk about that incident. When you do something like that, when you do something on mission, obviously a mission trip is a deeper, better example, but like this week, this weekend, we're going camping. If you're not planning on coming, you should come. But if JD takes us on an adventure down into a cave where you have to army crawl to get to the other part of the cave, that bonds us like no other because we're helping each other through, we're encouraging each other, and that really is what that onward part of unity is about. Let's take all of those facets, let's look in all of those directions, and let's live onward, on mission with each other. I think about even being on outreach for those of y'all that come out or you're passing out cards, and it's hard to do that, right? It's not, I mean, maybe for some of y'all it's like, wow, that's the easiest thing. For me, it's not. So it's a challenge, and I always have to remind myself why we're doing it. But once we're doing it together, it is so exciting to see Brie hand a card to someone. It makes me feel like, okay, I can do it. I can hand it to someone else. Because we're all moving on mission together. There's nothing that unites us like being on mission together. And that is really what all of this is about. Is that since the beginning of time, when we, humanity, separated ourselves from God, we created that gap from God. He has been working on uniting first, before anything else, us to himself and then with each other. We see that in Adam and Eve. They created they didn't believe that what God said was true. They ate of the fruit, and they were—they saw their sin, and sin entered the world, right? They saw their nakedness, and sin entered the world and separated them from God. And God first calls out to them, and not only do they experience disunity between them and God, but between each other. Adam's like, it's her fault. That automatically, that disunity started right then, and this whole time I can just see in the narrative of the Bible the way that God has been uniting us with himself and then with each other, creating this incredible body of Christ that's supposed to be living on mission together, bringing other people in. That's what's beautiful and unique about this type of unity is that there aren't prerequisites. Anybody that wants to join can be in. Anybody that's at any level of faith or just trying to figure out Jesus can be in and we can keep adding people to be united on this mission with us together. So I believe that as we, that that's what all of this unity stuff is really about is Me- uh, Miriam's phrase of onward. Let's have that like a battle cry. Let's do that. Let's not just be great. Let's be great at doing this, but let's not stop there. Let's move on into being on mission, thinking about who are people that need unity, that are united to anything, that just need a place to belong, that need to experience what it's like to be united with God and then with each other forever. With God forever and with each other here. Let's go onward with this mission and the unity that we have received. Let's not let it keep us right here in this room or LBJ, but let's move outward and be adding people into the mission. How beautiful is this that God has been creating unity he it's his idea and we just get to partner with him be united with him and then with each other let's pray